C.S. Lewis says that um, that when people talk about Jesus, they will grow really close as friends. And interestingly, he says when Christians stop talking about Jesus, they can tend to drift apart. So we forget about that spiritual element of the fact that we're spiritual people. We're not just made up of all these cultural identities. And being reconciled to each other too, again, mm. which is, we talked that, about that last that's week. That's it. Yeah. Well, Walt says that. Like, Christ has reconciled us to one another. So we belong at church because of what Jesus has done, not because of the cultural manifestation of the church. Welcome back, everybody, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is uh, excellent to have you along with us, whether you're on YouTube or uh, listening to us in your ears on the podcast. I'm joined again by my two co-hosts for this season, who is Stu Crawshaw. Hello, Joel. How are you going? Senior pastor at Sorrow Bible Church. And Tim Bilhart. Hello. G'day. Children's pastor at Sorrow Bible Church. It's great to have you along again. It's great to be here. Um, you've been researching a lot of things on views of youth ministry, and that's what we're going to keep talking about today. Uh, but first, let's do our cultural artifact that we like to always visit. And uh, you guys encouraged me to talk about another one <laughs> I've been watching, which is um, I've been watching, now I've got to get this title right, Jamie, I think it's Jamie Oliver uh, Cooks with the Nonnas, something like that. And so what he does is he's going all around Italy with his friend Gennaro, who is my favourite character, who he apparently worked for back in England at a restaurant. And now Gennaro knows a lot of nonnas in Italy, so he's gone around and started cooking for them. So it's quite an interesting... Uh, uh, we, the kids and I have really enjoyed it because we actually cooked a pasta dish out of the actual show, which you know sometimes you don't really do with food shows. You're just watching, oh, that's beautiful, and don't actually cook it. <laughs> but um, it was really cool to see how... They go into, and Italy is just so regional with its food, like seafood down in the south and how they do pasta differently and sauces differently. And um, it's cool to see that Jamie just goes in there and wants to learn from them rather than actually, like he wants to learn about their culture and be in their culture and um, uh, learn from these old Italian women who have just been cooking these different dishes according to their region for a long time. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but uh, are you guys a fan of Jamie Oliver at all? I mean, I haven't watched a lot of Jamie Oliver. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't watch a lot of reality TV, actually. Um, Either do I. Yeah. But so I got a I got a little subscription to Paramount Plus the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we found this show, and it was yeah. it was. Right. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah, yeah I like Oliver. I like Jamie Oliver's good. You cook a fair bit of these stuff. I don't like you? I like his his recipes. Yeah, I particularly liked his. He did a uh, series at his uh, at a home, his home, I think, and it had the best garden, veggie garden I've ever seen in my life, and that got me inspired to do a veggie garden. So, that's really yeah, I really cool. like. I like his sauces; they're just fresh and natural. Anyway, and they're easy. They're easy. Really good. That's yeah, what I find really good. I, really I love good. the bit where where he uh, food is is so cultural, and we're going to talk about culture today. I think that's a really good lead in for today because. Food is transcultural as well as enculturated, so it can cross different cultures, but it's also coming. Everyone's got a culture of food. It's really interesting, and every family has a culture of food. Mm. So, yeah. And there's always that fascinating thing of people, different parts of the world, they've passed those recipes down mm. for generations, and that's what you get out of that Jamie Oliver show. Oh, 100%. And for me, I've got British heritage, so my <laughs> dad and my grandparents were British, and uh, I remember growing up eating a lot of food from my nan and pop's place and my grandmother was um 
brought up in the depression as well. So she, sorry, she cooked through the depression. So I've got all these <laughs> depression era um, <laughs> recipes that I pull out every day to get it. People just look at you like lard on a piece of bread or, or uh, steak and kidney and and other things that like mushy peas. Yeah. So my family sometimes looks across at me and goes, I can't believe you're eating that stuff. But for me, it's sort of my cultural food that I like mm. to go back to. Yeah, on that Jamie Oliver show, there was someone, that uh, a woman, she's like, I didn't have shoes until I was 15. Yeah, And right. then, like, they learned how to cook pasta because that yeah, was the cheapest yeah. thing to do yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, let's talk about what we're going to talk about, which is uh, the missional approach, which is a chapter by Chap Clark in the Four Views of Youth Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, do you want to give us the rundown? Because we've been, we've been looking into these different strategies in terms of gauging youth culture. What does the missional approach say? Yeah, so Chuck Clark is particularly interested in um, being missional as a church. And so his view of youth ministry uh, is actually all-encompassing of the whole church. So there's um, something all age about that. Um, and it's the, the church as a whole reaching out into the adolescent world. One of the things he's particularly um, keen on is that we reach out into the non-Christian world, those who don't yet know Jesus. Um, and one of his criticisms of some of the other views of youth ministry in the book uh, is that they do okay at maintaining the Christian teenagers who are already in the church um, and discipling them. Um, and we looked at last week um, the... Um, preparatory approach approach. Uh, and the week before that we talked about um, the the bead theory and the no guts no glory just the invite your friends and and as they come along Um, and one of chaps big criticisms is well that's uh, that's fine and you can get very slow uh, movement perhaps by doing that and you might get the friends of the Christian kids to come along Um, but his big concern is that the majority of teenagers in uh, postmodern world are not connected with church have no interest in church um, and I don't know any Christians. And so if we're relying on a bead method approach to reach the outside world, uh, basically his criticism is that that's really not good enough. We're not actually engaging properly with the adolescent world, um, with the, their concerns, their um, struggles, the things that they're interested in, uh, in order to reach them with the gospel. And so he's particularly concerned that the whole church engages and prioritises of reaching out into the adolescent world. Um, and so that's why it's missional. One of his, uh, theologically, he grounds that uh, in the Great Commission, for example, that would go and make disciples. And he's really passionate about going out into the world. Um, and again, he, he has this criticism of a lot of established churches and youth ministries, which, uh, again, main, maintain the programs that are there. Um, and their metric of success is if the Christian teenagers don't leave. Um, and... <laughs> He wants to push harder against that and say, sure, like, of course, we don't want our Christian kids to leave, but we want more than that. We, we actually want those who don't yet know Jesus to come to know Jesus. We want the, the lost to be found. Um, and his big push is for that not to be just through this bead invite, um, but actually to purposely go out as a church um, and to go out into the adolescent world, to engage with the adolescent world. Um, and through that to make disciples and then um, to integrate them back into the church. So his concern is that the church is too inwardly focused rather than outwardly focused. Would that a, a summar- is that a yeah, good I think summation I, of that? Yeah, I think he, he doesn't use those exact words, but I think that would summarise um, his position, and particularly as he interacts with some of the other views um, in 
the Four Views of Youth Ministry. There's, it's a great book in the way that it, they converse with each other um, oh, okay. and they all respond to each other's chapters. Um, and so the way that he writes his chapter, but the other, also the way that he responds to other people's chapters, uh, that's one of his big criticisms is that uh, you're very discipleship focused, um, which he doesn't want to lose, but he says that's fine, but we need more than that. We need this missional approach that goes outward. And when he, if he's talking about um, being outwardly focused, does he have like certain and engaging with adolescent culture? Does he provide some examples of what he thinks is a good approach to do that with? Yeah, it's a bit of a frustrating chapter in some ways because he doesn't have a lot of precise or practical outworkings. Um, possibly that's intentional in that he, he wants that to be a culturally specific, locally specific way of doing ministry, um, and he wouldn't want to prescribe particular methods of doing that and one of the things we'll keep talking about today is um, different ways that we've seen that work um, particularly here in Australia Um, and uh, yeah so he doesn't give a lot of direct um, input on that. Mm. Um, So you're frustrated by that? It it was a little bit frustrating because I love his um, the way that he's structuring his argument the way that he's grounding uh, it in the gospel obviously the gospel of mission um, but his lack of precise examples uh, is, a, is a little bit, oh, okay, I just want that a little bit more. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Stu, do you want to have a, uh, some um, views on the missional approach? Yeah, I think it's a good impulse to, to remind us that we need mission. I think it's also, mm. uh, again, flowing out of the narrative that we've been talking about, it makes a lot of sense that someone like Chap Clark would be con- considering our declining mission as uh, as the church and our culture continue to move further and further away from each other. Um, it's interesting that his impulse in the 1990s was correct because if you look at uh, generation, well, the generation, uh, how they've approached church, the baby boomers started leaving the church, Gen X, which is my generation, left the church. By the mid-2000s, a Catholic study had come out called The Spirit of Gen Y, which talked about the fact that not only were Generation Y uh, millennials starting to move away from the church even more than Generation X, they were actually not only um, dissatisfied with the institutional structures of spiritual organisations, but they're actually less and less likely to be interested in spirituality at all. And I think there is a decline in interest in spirituality. And as we talked about in the first podcast in this season, there's also those uh, uh, concerns coming up all over the church. So people in the the Church of England in England are trying to work out how do we double our numbers in the next 10 years because they've identified that mission has been a real need. I think in Sydney, uh, the youth groups and the youth ministries in Sydney are, are in a time of change and I think the old ways of doing things again are sort of um, not seeming to have the same missional impact. And I think, in fact, some of our denominations have really focused into uh, into discipleship since, uh, for example, our Anglican Church in Sydney, uh, we've really taken on board that no guts, no glory model and then uh, dived deeper into that with family ministry, which we'll get to in future podcasts, which is great. Good discipleship is important. There was an identification that after the 1970s and 1980s, maybe discipleship needed to be strengthened in Sydney. But uh, what we'll talk about today is I think that sometimes if we focus too much on discipleship, we can lose a missional impulse. And so Chap Clark is a really helpful reminder to us that we need to think carefully about how we engage with our culture and how do we do mission. Um, The last thing I'd say on that is I think that as I talk to Christians, I think more and more Christians seem to have not experienced someone becoming a Christian and have not had a positive experience in evangelism or mission and they haven't seen any 
one that they know or love make a commitment to Jesus. Uh, and I wonder if some Christians are starting to think that people don't become Christians in our culture anymore. And so they've almost given up on mission and evangelism and sometimes replace it with other impulses like social justice or, or just discipleship. And I think Chap Clark's saying, no, let's remember that Jesus has given us the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where we need to go out and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's a, a fascinating thing to think about how do we reignite mission in our generation, I think. Is there any um, particular examples perhaps in Sydney of the missional approach or, or, co- mm. or take some of those core tenets of what Chapter Clark is talking about and using them for uh, mission? Yeah, well, I, th- I think one of the most successful missional approaches is uh, Christian Surfers that started in Sydney, actually started in the Sutherland Shire where we live, which is in the south of Sydney. And Christian Surfers came from a Baptist church, a local Baptist church called Gaimia Baptist Church. A bunch of young crew from Gaimia Baptist Church uh, were realising that a lot of the surfers in our area, because we're on the coast and there's a lot of beaches in the Sutherland Shire and there's a lot of young people surf. And there was this recognition that a lot of surfers weren't actually connecting with the traditional youth ministry. And so some of the surfers from Guymia Baptist Church, beginning as a ministry of Guymia Baptist Church, started to go out onto the beaches and actually take the gospel to the beach and surf with young crew and share the gospel with them as they surf. Now, that led to the establishment of a thing called Christian Surfers House down at Cronulla, which was a very famous ministry down at Cronulla. And since then, Christian Surfers has been so successful that it's gone national and then international. So now there's chapters of Christian surfers all over the world. Uh, we've actually got a, uh, some people in our church who became Christians from Christian surfers. And so that, yeah, that impulse of um, contextualizing the gospel into a particular culture that is, uh, you know, is really uh, can be quite a successful model and has been for Christian surfers, yeah. In terms of the missional uh, approach, we will probably say that we. Again, the reason that we're talking about these different strategies of engaging youth culture is that we think that the, there is an image problem mm. <laughs> that um, the church has with youth. How does that compare to the intergenerational model that we prefer to pursue? I suppose that's a, the question. I, I'll ask you first, Tim. What do you, what do you think in terms of comparing missional view to intergenerational? Yeah, I think um, uh, there's there's a lot in the missional um view that we have taken hold of in terms of like we are wanting to be outward looking um, and be taking our community out into uh, the community into the wider community take yep. our youth community to the wider community yep. um, uh, so yeah there's, there's lots there to um, to celebrate and, and to that we have taken on um, I think uh, one of the things is with an intergenerational approach is to try and say it's, it's a both end. Uh, not neither or, mm. and so we want to be um, a place that uh, is, yeah, ro- as we've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, robustly Christian, passionately Christian, uh, enthusiastically Christian, um, and so that has been, and I, I guess in one way, one of the things we we're trying to do is to not um, make a distinction between the way that we are passionately Christian inside the church building when we're you know, having a service or running an inside night or, or outside. There's, there's actually try not to make a distinction between those two things, but to be um, authentic across both spaces. Um, and so that would be maybe why our um, the way in which we've tried to do a sort of a, a missional place is to be out in the community, uh, to be out in the world of 
um, adolescents um, to be engaging with them uh, on their terms and in their world, um, but not losing any of that authentic authenticity of being Christian and being passionately so. Um, so that'd be one way. Uh, the other thing about being, having um, a, an all age, all stage approach is that when youth, teenagers do become Christians, when we assimilate them back into the church, like Chap Clark talks about, there's actually an, an all-age gathering which they are being brought back into. And what that does is it means that it's not just the teenagers will come back and might find a youth group or maybe a youth service in which they will connect with, but they'll find a whole group of people, all ages, um, firstly who honour them and, and want to know them um, and be in relationship with them, but are also there for their younger brothers and sisters, for their parents, their grandparents. Um, it's very hard if a teenager becomes a Christian to then invite their parents to a youth group or a youth service where they're not being particularly um, taken into account. Um, and so, but when we have uh, gatherings on over a weekend, which are all age or stage, um, it's quite natural to say to the teenager who's becoming a Christian um, or is thinking about Jesus, hey, come along. And actually your parents come along too. And the gathering that they come into will have people of all those demographics there'll be people that they resonate with um, and so you do get those peer relationships but you also get those intergenerational relationships happening as well yeah i was going to ask you Stu. that's something that um we've talked about before is that uh, some christians believe that discipleship and mission can't happen at the same time mm-hmm. but we would disagree with that can you want to give us like the theological underpinnings of that and why we yeah, yeah i it? think i think again well our narrative is that it goes back predominantly to the 60s when uh, a lot of young people before the 60s a lot of young people just used to go to church it was a cultural uh, part of our lifestyle so at Guy Anglican Church where we came from originally in the Solon Shire in the south of Sydney um, that that particular church would open its doors on a Sunday morning and 400 children would come to Sunday school without any uh, compulsion at all like there'd just be a whole heap of kids come because that's what everyone did they dropped the kids off for Sunday school that's not to say they were all Christians but they were, they were very much um, part of the culture and then after that the world changed and now that doesn't happen uh, the, there's not 400 kids that are coming to Guy Anglican Church every week and so as a also revival church so as a result there's been this searching I think for people to say well youth culture and the culture of uh, our society in general has has been um, becoming a different culture of the church. So we almost need to go on mission to our own culture. I think before the 1960s, people wouldn't have thought about going on mission to their own culture in the same ways that we do today. Although there always has been a mission in Australia where we live particularly and also all over the world. A lot of church planning in Sydney. Um, there's... Um, you know, a really rich history of churches being planted in different areas to, to reach different communities. But there was this sense that uh, during Christendom, which is the period of time where Christianity was was culturally a really significant part of our, our society, uh, there wasn't this sense that we have to go to a different culture to share the gospel with people. We're sharing the culture in our... Sorry, sharing the gospel in our culture. And so what's changed since the 70s is this... Uh, there's this thought I think that's emerged that people just don't go to church like they used to. So let's think about discipleship as what happens with Christians in churches and let's think about mission as what happens outside of churches. And so I think we've, I think a little artificially separated mission and discipleship. And so now we we even have youth ministry training courses 
that are youth in churches and youth in, in mission, mission to youth. So we actually have, uh, with our Australian College of Theology, two separate subjects on discipleship and mission. So we're really used to thinking about church as a place where Christians come and it's known for us and then we're trying to reach out to those people out there. Uh, the incarnational approach that we talked about was the theological underpinnings of this new movement of working out how do we equip and encourage Christians to go out on mission to, to the world outside. There's a very individualistic flavour to, to that in our culture because of um, particularly interestingly since World War II, there's more of a focus on individuals' uh, decisions and self-decided relationships where we make our own relationships with other people. We're not really part of a collective anymore. We're not part of a group anymore. Uh, so some communities that come from uh, uh, more communal cultures will still live communally in Australia, but Anglos particularly are very individualistic. So there's this sense of how do we mission to individualistic people who are choosing their own relationships? And as a result, uh, you know, for example... Uh, Christians will see a whole subculture within youth that aren't coming to church very much, and young surfers maybe, and those surfers maybe could be targeted with a particular ministry to surfers. And so there's a lot of uh, common sense logic that's been implied. Um, there's, a, there's a few, it's an interesting book by Sam Chan um, called Evangelism in a Skeptical World where he picks up on a lot of these themes and he says that um, that the, the gospel, the gospel is transcultural. In other words, the gospel can move from our Christian culture to share that culture in a more secular context, in a pluralistic culture. And we need to be thinking about that um, culturally. Like, how are we as the gospel tellers, how are we enculturating our gospel? Like, so there are cultural elements to our uh, sharing of the gospel and how we how are the people that we're talking to hearing what we're saying they might be missing our metaphors or our our different language that we might use so we need to try and translate the gospel into a new cultural context so all of that has reinforced this um, context of separation of discipleship and mission a bit now the problem is though that there's a few side effects of that that we haven't really uh, thought too much about yet I don't think in the West number one if people leave the church and then go and do mission in the in outside the church which is a great thing and I mean I, I do that in my life too but as an individual if I only do mission as an individual to my friends and family outside of the church and say some of my friends and family do become Christians uh, and then I say oh why don't you come to church with me they, they they might go well why what's the context of that because the context of me becoming a Christian is in the relationship we have with each other. Why would I go to church? And I think I think that in the nineties, what what we we saw sometimes, one of the Christian surfers is a great ministry, but some of the surfers that became Christians in Christian surfers found it hard to actually come along to a church that was uh, full of people who don't surf because they'd become a Christian in the context of their surfing culture. And I think our churches didn't make it easy for those particularly young kids, to come to church. Because, for example, surfers might come along to church with bare feet and sand still on their feet <laughs> as they've just come from the beach straight to church on a Sunday night. And if they walk into a church with bare feet, sandy, and and wearing board shorts and a T-shirt, there's a chance that some of the adults in the church might say, well, you're not dressed appropriately for church. You need to go home and get dressed. And I've heard adults say that to young people. So how do we actually, I think the question is, how do we actually bring mission and discipleship together? And how do we do it at the same time? And there's still room for individualistic evangelism. But 
if we just separate mission and discipleship, what we end up doing is I think the side effects in the Sutherland Shire where we come from are that um, by by creating a targeted ministry to a certain culture, it's very individualistic way of doing it and it can can have a have a, a byproduct of or a shadow of that the young people we minister to can be a bit more individualistic, that they're um, also becoming a bit more consumeristic because we've kind of tailored a Christian product for young people that we're taking to them if we take that missional approach uh, from a bare bones point of view. And it can have a side effect of consumerism because it can be, well, we've created a Christian surfers culture gospel uh, context that you can be a Christian and a surfer. In fact, the name Christian surfers. The side effect of that is that that young people who surf can feel a part of that, but young people who don't surf might not be able to feel a part of that. Mm. So there's a bit of individualism there, a bit of consumerism, and and also transience, because young people can start looking for a ministry that suits their needs. So how do we combat that with the intergenerational ministry? Well, like I said, it doesn't mean that we don't go out individually on mission, but we add to that. And I think what we've tried to do with our context here at Soul Revival is we've tried to rediscover what it looks like to be a church where people who aren't Christians can come along and check out Jesus and have a conversation about faith with with us. So maybe we can unpack that some more during this episode. But by, by doing mission in the church as well as going outside of the church, I think that's good. And the framework for that is that church is not a building. So church is the gathering of God's people. So I think what we've really lent into is how can we as God's people gather together in the building we happen to be in in a way that other people can come along and be a part of and also how do we take that christian community gathering into other parts of this other spaces so that people can see a diversity amongst the body of christ as well as be able to connect culturally with that as well i think one of the things you notice there is that for christian surfers is that it's an example of a missional approach mm. but it's also an example of incarnational ministry Mm. Um, those two don't have to go together Mm. Um, we we don't have to be incarnational in order to be missional Mm. Um, and so teasing those things apart uh, so that some of those things you've noticed about incarnational ministry that it uh, it works it might work brilliantly for surfers but if you're not a surfer uh, i'm not a surfer if i turn Mm. up at a christian surfers meeting i'd really have nothing really to uh, connect with Mm. other than jesus Um, but there'd be a whole lot of oh why are you here you don't surf um, and so uh, how do we be missional um, and, and connect and contextualise the gospel to an adolescent world without also pairing that with an incarnational ministry that says, oh, you have to become like this in order to reach that demographic? Yeah, well, some people use the incarnational framework to say that Jesus became a Jew to the Jew, so we should become a surfer to the surfers. Um, uh, some take it to such an extent to say that we should be Jesus to people and you know actually go out and take the gospel into different cultures. Uh, Sam Chan in his book uh, Evangelism, a Skeptical World, takes a slightly different perspective on incarnationalism where he says that just as Jesus came into a culture, so the gospel can go into other cultures. So he uses the phrase transcultural, that you can take the gospel into other cultures. And there's a, a great deal of benefit from us understanding that we have not just um, a gospel 
that is outside of culture, the gospel itself is cultural. So as you read the gospel, you, it's good to understand the culture of the time that it was communicated. And you, you just see the illustrations Jesus uses. You know, there's a lot of agrarian illustrations in the New Testament in gospels that Jesus uses, like shepherds and, and crops and things like that, that uh, are of the time, you know. So uh, he doesn't use uh, parables to make heavenly concepts easier for people. He actually uses those known concepts to actually draw people in and make it actually quite intriguing And because people ask the question, I don't quite understand what he's saying. But he does use those metaphors nonetheless. And so Sam Chan says we should use idioms or symbols, uh, cultural symbols and cultural metaphors and cultural stories that people understand in our culture. And all that is a really good thing. So we're not saying that the, co- the gospel is acultural, but we, we as the tellers of the gospel have a culture and the hearers that listen to the gospel have a culture. So we should be aware of all those dynamics. But the, the other thing that I get really excited about is that as we preach the gospel, we know that uh, the Holy Spirit is actually working on the hearts of the hearers of the gospel and helping the gospel hearers to actually connect with the story so that spiritual element is is a really beautiful thing so i think i think that if you look for example of how paul who was transcultural he was a jewish uh, man who became a christian and then went to the gentiles the non-jews with the gospel uh, you can see that there's all sorts of things we can learn and we can't unpack all of that in one podcast but one thing that's really fascinating is he is uh, able to give different applications to different cultural settings he's able to explain the gospel in different uh, metaphors depending on who he's speaking to but at the at the heart of it he is pointing people to jesus and he's helping people to understand that jesus uh, is our savior that we are sinners and we need a savior uh, that god loves us he is angry at our sin and that we need him we really need saving and so uh, you know, when I talk to young people who are used to the beach, I might use a metaphor that they understand to help explain that. Uh, you know, at, in, at Cronulla, there's um, people we call clubbies, which are the, the lifesavers. And, you know, I'll talk about the fact that, you know, if you're caught in a rip and you're out at sea and you can't get out of the rip, you need a lifesaver to come and save you. Well, Jesus is the most amazing lifesaver you could ever imagine because uh, you're actually not just caught in a rip you've drowned and he can bring you alive again not not just save you out of the rip so anyway you can uh, there there are always pros and cons with using metaphors like that because sometimes it doesn't quite capture what we're trying to say but it is helpful for young people who have something known that you can you can help to explain the gospel with that that's called contextualization where you actually try and put the gospel into their context but the challenge is we can't water that gospel down or change it as we do that and so i think what we're really trying to dig into with soul revival by combining discipleship and mission it really helps us to have a strong christian identity that is first and i like the name christian surfers because it's christian surfers and it's not surfer christians it's not like when you know christian surfers the christian part comes first all the time and that's really good but i suppose what our passion is is we want to reach a broader group of people and so how do you do that uh without without um having a targeted missional contextualization it's a challenge but it'd be fun to continue to unpack today well that was just and on the back of what you're saying is that's the what we talked about in the last episode was that um we find that the intergenerational approach helps embrace difference Mm. as well as whether they're surfers or what it doesn't matter it's the 
It's what Jesus has done first. And that's the piece that's really exciting because it's counterintuitive. So the intuitive missional impulse is to create cultural known um, artifacts and cultural known methodologies that reach a certain culture. That's what we've been doing for the last, what is it now, 50 years, something like that. Uh, But while we've been doing that, our missional impact has been declining. Now, we've already said that in some contexts our churches aren't as missional as they used to be. Uh, but also because we've targeted certain groups, I think we're actually reducing our missional impact a little bit because we've got such a plurified culture. If we just target just one group, and there's nothing wrong with some Christians targeting a group of people, but if we all do that, then what the response is that we have a very fractured expression of discipleship as well because we end up having just Christians discipling Christians in a certain subculture as well as reaching out to Christians in a certain subculture and I think the shadow of that is in the Solon Shire where we live anyway is a lot of Christians are looking for a church for them and they go along to a church for them but that's that's intuitive people think naturally incarnationally like that but if you actually embrace some aspects of say the atonement of Christ that Jesus didn't just come to live with us he came to die as well so he did live with us and we embrace the incarnation but we also embrace the fact that jesus shows us what love is by sacrificing himself on the cross for us and that not only does that uh, offer uh, a propitiation for sin in other words it it it, um, is a solution for god's wrath at sin but it's also um, uh, something that reconciles us to god and reconciles us to each other. And I've been fascinated about that reconciliation that we have from the cross of Christ, that we are reconciled to one another as Christians, and we are part of the family of God. So a lot of people in our generation will say, oh, I don't really feel like I fit in at that church, or I don't really belong at that church, because culturally I don't feel like I connect with it. So churches are trying harder and harder to be a better cultural fit for people. That's the intuitive response. But a counterintuitive response could be to just really teach that idea that love is about sacrifice. We keep coming back to Romans 12 often in this podcast. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's not a common missional or discipleship um, impulse these days, but it actually is because if Christians can actually be thankful for what god has done for them through jesus and to be so thankful for being saved uh if if we know we are loved much then we will love much too and if we know we are saved from much we will love much and so we we actually embrace difference and that's where it gets exciting because if we can teach uh, Christians again to remember that we can be sacrificial in our love like Jesus teaches. When Jesus teaches in Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 to love God and love others, we do that sacrificially. And who do we love? Well, Jesus was asked that question actually in Matthew 22 because he taught that we should love our neighbours and then the question was, well, who are our neighbours, Jesus? And he said, well, everyone is our neighbour. So that's interesting because our current missional framework is let's have discipleship and mission is two separate things and then let's have separate mission to all these different pluralistic groups whereas i think from matthew 22 i'm excited about exploring how do we bring mission and discipleship together that our christian neighbors and our non-christian neighbors are actually our neighbors let's love them sacrificially and then on top of that like let's um be able to embrace different cultures and embrace difference so what we're trying to do with an intergenerational approach is actually give uh, 
places and spaces for young people and older people to start experimenting with connecting with people who have different culture to them and they connect around the gospel. Now, Miroslav Falf in Exclusion and Embrace uh, says that every individual person has different identities. So as a as a person, I'm, I'm, I'm a male. I live in the Sutherland Shire. I'm Australian. As I said earlier, I've got a British heritage. Sheffield Wednesday supporter. I'm a sh- look, there's a soccer team in England that everyone should get into just quietly. It's called Sheffield Wednesday football team in England. Um, yeah, I support that team. Uh, and I'm a Christian as well. And I, and I surf. And I, I like poetry. I like bushwalking. There's a whole heap of different parts of what makes me me and it's not just one of those identities that makes me who i am so if i have a missional approach to one of my identities it's it's actually not embracing the whole of who i am partly but also the other thing that's interesting is wolf says that uh, particularly western churches uh, christians sometimes go to church looking for others who share a particular identity of theirs so Let's take this, the football analogy. I might go to a church looking for other football fans and then there's no football fans at the church I go to and I don't really feel like I fit in and belong in that church because no one likes football. So I keep looking for a church with football fans and then when I find one, I go, oh, I belong here. But Wolf says actually connecting through our... Um, those, you know, We always have those identities and they're good and they're part of who we are. But if we connect through special identities like that, we're necessarily going to exclude people who don't have those identities. And I don't think we think about that in our intuitive response to mission. We think it's a really loving thing to go and mission to young adults and start a church for young adults in the inner city. They all like coffee and they all like doing the same thing. I don't think we think that when we do that, we're actually necessarily leaving people out that don't, that aren't young and that don't like coffee. So, so um, we just assume that everyone who are in our community will have Christians who are going on mission to them, but that's not always the case. So Volf says it's a far more loving thing to actually work hard at connecting through our Christian identity, not through our special identities. Um, and if we connect through our Christian identity with each other and we actually talk about Jesus together, we can actually grow really close through that. But I think Christians have lost confidence in that because they go to church and look like, oh, what am I going to talk to someone about after church with a cup of tea? the weather um what am i doing this afternoon and once you know why don't we talk about jesus c.s lewis says that um that when people talk about jesus they will grow really close as friends and interestingly he says when christians stop talking about jesus they can tend to drift apart so we forget about that spiritual element of the fact that we're spiritual people we're not just made up of all these cultural identities and being reconciled to each other too again mm. which is we that, talked about that last that's week. that's it yeah. well Vol says that like christ has reconciled us to one another so we belong at church because of what jesus has done not because of the cultural manifestation of the church and this can bring it back to chap clark this is in his one of his most recent books adoptive church uh is exactly where he goes um and he talks about the the fact that we i am adopted as a child of god and so it you um and so is this other person who is very unlike me culturally Mm. but if they are adopted into as a child of god then Mm. actually our primary connection point is that we are both christians together um and that is what's going to bind us together and so chap clark uh talks in adoptive church about how making that um jesus uh the the adoption as each other uh, as brothers and sisters as the primary way in which we relate to a church actually allows us to have this all age all stage 
experience. You know, I can be um, really good friends with an 80-year-old or an 8-year-old mm. um, and I can talk with them and have conversation and share genuine life with them mm. because of who we are as, a, as adopted brothers and sisters into each other. So, um, yeah, so it's something that the Chap Clark is talking about in um, one of his later books as well. It feels like um, we keep coming back to it. Obviously, our culture has become plurified more and more since the 60s. Um, and we've talked about all the different approaches, like the, we talked about the Jesus movement and the, the no guts, no glory. Um, it feels like to a point that when we're starting to talk about these four views of youth ministry, it's almost like, what do we do next? Like we have just split it up so much that um, I think I feel like what we're talking about is like, no, there's a different way of doing it. We need to stop kind of whittling it down until we get to a certain point. Whereas if we, and now like exactly what you're saying, Tim, is that if we are using Jesus as the central point, then we can work out what ev- everything else comes out of that. I feel like that's that's what we're starting to get to. So I know that you were <laughs> frustrated at Chap Clark for not giving you any examples <laughs> of the missional view. I thought it'd be worth, f- as we finish up, giving the listeners and viewers um some actual examples of intergenerational ministry mm. and how, like, let's hope that be, if anyone's listening to this and they're interested in intergenerational ministry, um, let's not frustrate them in terms of, like, let's help them work mm. out some strategies. I'd, I'd wonder if you'd, I'd, you'd, I'd love you to be able to give us some actual uh, strategies so you, you don't frustrate people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, one of the things we, we've been talking about is um, this sort of missional approach is we don't want to... We all want to be intergenerational. There's lots of strengths there, but also intercultural. Um, in that, there's we can talk to others who are unlike ourselves culturally, and I think that's another um, uh, outworking of this idea of um, we we grow as disciples when we are with those who are unlike ourselves, um, and so that'll often be expressed intergenerationally. We talked about that a lot, but this idea of being intercultural also works as well. Um, in that. Uh, as a as a non-surfer, um, I can go and talk with someone who is not. Um, but because I'm also secure in my identity as a child of God, uh, I don't need that other person to be just like me. Uh, I don't need to be in their world and they don't need to be in my world because I can be non-anxiously present with them and just listen to them, have them tell me about surfing. Um, uh, I know next to nothing about soccer, but I sit with you guys and you guys talk <laughs> about your soccer teams. Um, and it's, it's great. Like I just, I just sit and listen and learn and pick up little bits and pieces about what it means. And so when it comes to being, having an emotional approach, one of the things we've talked about uh, is, and the way we've expressed it um, at, at a soul revival is to, again, take the community uh, out of the church walls. And so I can remember both being at a youth group but also leading youth groups where we were um, having a, you know, an out night uh, out in the community. Somewhere might be going down to the local pool, might be going to a skate park, might be playing games at a local oval. Um, but in those spaces, actually behaving in the same ways we would in church in terms of we have uh, a lot of fun together because we enjoy each other and we are friends because of the gospel. Um, but it would also sit um, and open the Bible. And so I can remember actually, I'm pretty sure I was giving the talk at Sutherland Pool um, and we just had, you know, maybe 50 year seven, eight kids all sit down in the middle of the complex, uh, just whip open the Bible and just do the talk as we normally would. Um, And just trying to be self uh, or not self-conscious about the fact that we're genuinely Christians and just enjoying that. Um, And so like Jesus teaching his disciples, part of the hope in that is that uh, we've got people who are sitting on the edges 
um, or listening in who may be like curious. Oh, what's this going on? Oh, they're Christians. Oh, they go to this church. Yeah. And, and so for those who are curious and whom the Spirit is working, they'll be drawn into that. They'll find something attractive about that. Um, and so that's one of the ways in which we've tried to express uh, that missional impulse and also by doing a variety of different things. Um, we don't always go skating because we're not trying to be uh, incarnationally a skating culture. Um, but, you know, sometimes if there's people in our youth group who enjoy skating, well, sure, we'll go down to the skate park um, as one of the nights because it loves them by honouring them and saying this is something that's important to you. Maybe you've got some mates who are also skating cultures who want to come. Uh, but next week we might go do something completely different uh, or have a different kind of theme at the church. Even a prayer night. We might have a prayer before. night, mm. yeah. And have an elder come along to the prayer night. So that's right. It's, that's a bit counterintuitive, but it works. Yeah, so I remember when I was leading the year 9, 10 youth group, um, we had um, uh, grandparents, um, youth group grandparents, and they would come mm. every... We knew that every night um, when we were meeting, they were at their house praying for us. Um, and at least once, maybe twice a term, they might come along. Mm. That's cool. Um, and so that was Alf and Wilma. And so they would come and, and they would just... And meet us. And that we would introduce them. Hey, every Friday night, these guys are at their home praying for us as a group. And, you know, we've got an opportunity to meet them. And so that you're bringing those intergenerational, intercultural things as well. Um, yeah, so that's some of my experiences and thoughts. So you've got other ways in which we've sought to be missional? Yeah, I like what you're saying, that the church gathering, the ecclesia, the church is not a building. So we can be the church in in public as in the in the other spaces as well as in the space we meet for church. We've, we've met in a factory. Uh, we've got half the factory is kind of, I suppose, an auditorium and other half is like a big cafe. We have a meal each week. And that means that as we gather as God's people, we can ask people along for a meal and come along to church into a space where they can have a coffee as well as listening to the message. And that seems to be quite popular. But then as well as doing that and inviting people back to church again and having the confidence to do that, asking non-Christian people to come along to church, not to a halfway step between the church and the world, but to actually come to church and and see how we live and listen to the message. And then as they hear the preached word of God, that's that's what convicts people's hearts. So um, seeing a biblical community in action is also quite uh, a strong uh, thing, I think. But not only do we do that inside, uh, we're at Kirawee across the road, there's a big park. So we go and have carols across the park as well. We do youth ministry in the park as well. And I love it in Matthew 5 when Jesus sits down to disciple his disciples and teach his disciples. He does it in public, as Tim was saying, so people come around. Uh, so I suppose it's being aware of the spaces that people live in. And that's why we like the theory of third place theory, because third place theory says that people, the first place people live is in their home. The second is their workplace or their school. And the third is just the natural communities uh, where people hang out. So as well as us going and being church in those other gathering places we can actually be inviting people to to our gathering place too so there's doing both and and then if we're not just inviting people to church or just going out to the community we're doing discipleship and mission together now yes we also have individuals sharing their faith with people individually in people's homes and at the workplaces and schools as well but then we're also keen uh, to go to the football together as a church we're keen to go to the movies together as a church we're encouraging bible studies if they go see a movie together that maybe afterwards at the coffee shop open the bible in the coffee shop as well why do we only open the bible when we're in our homes why do we only open the bible when we're in church why don't we do that in public i love seeing surfers praying before they go into the water and four or five 
people standing around together praying and then thanking God for the opportunity to go surfing, praying for safety and then paddling out. People see that and it's a really nice natural way of um, sharing. Uh, I, I've seen, I'm chaplain to the Cronulla Sharks and I've seen this firsthand amongst some of the players in Cronulla Sharks, particularly in the 2016 season when we won the grand final. Jason Bakuya, Sam Tagatizi, Steph Apollo, some of the Christians in the team would pray in the change rooms before the game and the other players really respected that. And over this season, as they watched those guys pray, some of the non-Christian teammates actually all went quiet in respect to allow them to have a bit of space to pray before they went on, which I thought was really lovely. So they did that in a really beautiful, non, non-threatening non way. And it was just a Christian expression that was embraced by the club. And then over time, then what happened was that the Christian players on other teams would gather together after the game in the middle of the field in front of 25,000 people and pray together to thank God for a great game. And I thought that was a really... I knew those guys really well and I knew that was just an expression of who they were. So they weren't doing that as a a performance or anything. They were just discipling one another in public. And because they did that, they created missional opportunities in public as well. So, So I think those sorts of things help me to think through... It's really easy for a church to say, why don't we go for a picnic in the park and have a lovely big family picnic with all our different generations in the park naturally we'll talk to other people while we're in the park and someone's ball will come into our picnic area and we'll throw it back and went hi and then they'll say oh what are you guys doing there's a lot of you this is obviously in times where covid doesn't restrict numbers in a park (laughs) but yeah um but going on to covid if you understand that third place theory that we can actually be in those different places encouraging christian teenagers to be christians in the home uh, and at, at their schools as well. But also think about our third spaces. Third space theory says that the technological world, the digital world, is actually becoming communal spaces now too. And I think this is an example of how we're starting to experiment with that space, how we can create discipleship realities that are also public uh, on Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram so that people can actually see us living our lives as well. Do you want to just... One of the things we've done uh, for youth during this time mm. is um, to be running youth from on a Discord yep. program. That's and right. again, that was part of trying to be um, have a missional edge to be um, have a third space. You want to just explain why that decision was made? I might even throw to Joel on that because you're our, our digital pastor, Joel. What, oh, what's wow. your thoughts there? Have, can you think uh, off the top of your head on? I might. I might not nail the theoretical um, part of it that you'd be able to, but I think um, Discord is a very popular way of communicating amongst especially gamers mm-hmm. and that we have we have quite a few people that are gamers in our church in the in the youth uh sector sector or youth among the young crew and um uh it was a cool way to just try something out so on our friday night gathering they've been doing because we can't meet physically together they've actually been doing uh gathering together as they would at the friday night gathering and youth group but on discord and it, it's not this and it's definitely not the same but i think we've got to give a lot of credit to our young leaders especially ethan our, and your son and our youth pastor who have actually really lent into that and engaged people around them that actually know how to operate discord and then be able to keep those kids connected as much as possible to the church i think that's probably yeah a good that's cool and i really like what you said there because that's what picks up on something tim was saying that we it, you know some of our kids like skating will go to a skate park and some of the kids who don't like skating will go too mm. and some of the kids on discord aren't into gaming but they've jumped onto discord yeah and that's that's kind of really exciting where we're doing that counterintuitive thing which is embracing difference and teaching young people to embrace different cultures uh not trying to create a, a youth ministry where 
they come where there's just a group of people who are just like them from their year group at school, but encouraging them to look around and take the blinkers off and go, I can be friends with anyone. Why can't I be friends with these people over here? Yeah, as, a, as we were talking about with discipleship mission, I think, and something you said, Tim, it's both and. Mm. And I think that's the way that we try and look at it. So I think it's a really good way to wrap it all up. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. I really Thanks, appreciate Joel. it. Thanks, um, uh, Now, guys, if you're interested in intergenerational ministry or you even want to push back on some of the things that we're talking about, um, there's two ways you can do that. There is the Discord server that we have created for the Shock Absorber podcast, which you can find in the link in the show notes. And also you can email me at joel at shockabsorber.com.au. Uh, we also have another podcast called Chip Lunch, which is uh, talking to people in our church and having other guests on that uh talking about growing up as a Christian and how we interact with the culture. So that might be something you'd be interested in um, checking out. But as always, as we like to wrap it up with a one way. Thanks for joining us, guys.